You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you enjoy this show and if you'd like instant access to over 60 bonus episodes that have never been on the main podcast, then go on over now to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets and become a co-producer. Not only will you get a secret podcast feed that's exclusively yours, but you'll also get hundreds more hours of Attaboy Clarence and a monthly invite to watch a movie with me and the other co-producers in a special private online screening room. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or look for the link in the show notes. Only takes a minute. I'll wait here for you. Hello and welcome along to Attaboy Clarence. Are you feeling Christmassy yet? Have you roasted chestnuts yet? Have you had Michael Bublé's Christmas album on repeat yet? Has your dog chewed up at least two of the gifts you spent a lot of money on yet? All things that have happened in this house. We have a new dog. His name is Boris. He's named after Boris Karloff, by the way, not the current British Prime Minister. It was actually the patrons over at Patreon who came up with the name, and while we love it, it has been terribly orcs on dog walks, especially when we go for a ramble in the more left-wing leaning parks and recreation areas. Politics, eh? I stay firmly out of it. Yes, this is a stress-free, argument-free zone. Check your hats at the door, pull up a seat, and tell me about your Christmas plans. By the way, if you want a Christmas card from me and Suki, then make sure you're signed up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret and look out for the Christmas card post. You can join any tier, doesn't have to be a higher one, and if you send me your mailing address through the instructions on that post... Then I'll post a Christmas card out to you from Suki and I. Just go to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or look for the link in the show notes. And while you're there, you must vote for this month's film club. We're going to watch a Christmas movie on the evening of the 22nd of December at 8pm GMT. You guys need to vote for which one. So I have children, as you may know, and I'm always looking for new and interesting ways to punish them when they commit crimes against my sanity. I've tried everything from groundings to public floggings, from stopping their pocket money to an hour on the rack. But the blighters never seem to learn their lesson. That was until this week when I discovered the exquisite pleasures of audio torture. Yes, apparently the CIA have been using disorientating music and sounds for decades to influence the mental states of their interrogatees. 
Well, what's good enough for the CIA is good enough for me, damn it. So I thought I'd try my newly acquired instrument of torture out on you, fine people. Prepare for a disorientating audio experience like no other. <laughs> Ah, my head! This is the most confusing music I've ever heard. And let that be a lesson to you. It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it to hold you around Those are marshmallow clouds being friendly In the arms of the evergreen trees And the sun is red like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze All oh, the world is your snowball See how it grows That's how it goes Whenever it snows The world is your snowball Just for a song Get out and roll it along Oh, it's a yum, yummy world Made for sweethearts Take a walk with your favorite girl It's a sugar date What if spring is late In winter it's a marshmallow world It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's time for play It's a whipped cream day I'll wait for the whole year round And the sun is red like a pumpkin head. It's shining so your nose won't freeze. Ah, the world is your snowball. See how it grows. That's how it goes. Whenever it snows, the world is your snowball. Just for a song, get out and roll it along. It's a yum, yummy world made for sweethearts. Take a walk with your favorite girl It's a sugar date What if spring is late In winter it's a marshmallow world Well, that should get you in the festive mood. That's Dean Martin with A Marshmallow World. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. 
Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Into the question pot we go, and this first one is from Callie T in NYC. It sounds like a rap by Chris Cross. Anyway, Callie T in NYC writes, Hey Adam, I've always been a fan of the radio series Lights Out. So have I, Callie T. You have immaculate taste. Callie continues, Some of the sound effects they use in the show always turn my stomach. They're so realistic. Do you have any idea how they were created back in the old days on the air? Loving your work, and I'm signing up as a patron this week to get all the bonus shows. Love, Callie T from NYC. Yeah, you know me. Callie, what a great question. And you are going to love the answer, by the way. The sound engineers for Quiet Please were absolute geniuses. For the sound of someone being electrocuted, they held a pan of sizzling bacon up to the mic. For the sound of breaking bones, they literally broke bones. They used a pipe wrench to smash up some spare ribs. For the sound of dripping blood, they used maple syrup dripping onto a plate. And for the sound of decapitation, they had one of the sound men chop a cabbage in half with a machete. To simulate the sound of a body splattering on the ground, a wet rag was thrown at a concrete wall. For stabbing sounds, they stuck a knife into a piece of pork. And the sound of flesh being eaten was achieved by scrunching up a bowl of cooked spaghetti. My favorite one, though, comes from a particularly infamous episode called The Dark, which tells the story of a mysterious fog that turns people inside out if it touches them. The sound effect when it does this is horrible. Listen. My face, the go. My face, my mouth, the go. They achieved this sound by turning a wet rubber glove inside out whilst crushing a basket of berries. You have to have some kind of mind to dream those things up. Anyway, thank you for your question, Callie T from NYC in the house. And I look forward to welcoming you as a co-producer soon. Have a Christmas Canterbury. Canterbury. For yourself and your family, a very happy Christmas. On to another radio-related question from Maria Connors. Maria writes, Dear Adam, thanks to the Internet Archive, I've become acquainted with many shows from the golden age of radio that I remember from my childhood. Yes, I'm one of your older listeners. When I was very young, I swear I remember a show starring Ronald Coleman. Each week he played the lead role in a story chosen by a famous guest, and I remember loving it. I think one of the stories was Frankenstein, but I can't remember the name of the show, Can You Help? Hey Maria, yes, I can help you. That show was called Favourite Story, and it was on NBC, and it's out there, so keep looking. You had stories like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, chosen by Orson Welles. Hitchcock chose one, lots of other guests. My favourite episode of Favourite Story is when Coleman himself chose and then played the lead in Cyrano de Bergerac. Great show. Go and see it out, Maria, and relive that youth of yours, you spring chicken, you. You have a Christmas Canterbury, too. Canterbury. For yourself and your family, a very happy Christmas. And if you have a question and you think I can help you, then go to www.attaboyclarence.com. Scroll down the homepage and drop said query into the question pod. I thank you. 
So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Well, I'm sure we all have that handful of names in our favorites list. The ones who make our little hearts leap when we see them in the credits of a film we've taken a chance on. For me, there are a few. Edna May Oliver, Eric Bloor, Edward Everett Horton, Alan Jenkins, Margaret Rutherford, tons more. But one who makes me leap especially high is today's star, Frank Morgan. Some of you may be thinking, ah, that name's familiar. Where do I know it from? Well, I guarantee that you do know it, because coming up is Christmas, and one of the perennial TV highlights in all corners of the world is The Wizard of Oz, and he plays The Wizard of Oz. Yes, that bumbling, somewhat dishonest fellow behind the curtain with the bluster and the stammer and the twinkle in his eye, that, my friend, is Frank Morgan. You want a heart. You don't know how lucky you are not to have one. Hearts will never be practical until they can be made unbreakable. But I... I still want one. Back where I come from, there are men who do nothing all day but good deeds. They are called Philip, uh, Philip uh, yes, uh, good deed doers. And their hearts are no bigger than yours. But they have one thing you haven't got, a testimonial. Therefore, in consideration of your kindness, I take pleasure at this time in presenting you with a small token of our esteem and affection. And remember, my sentimental friend, that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. But there was far more to him than The Wizard. Fans of other classic hits might know him from films like The Shop Around the Corner. He played Mr. Matuszek. He played Jack Billings in The Great Ziegfeld. He played Lord Kelton in The Last of Mrs. Cheney. He popped up in Broadway Melody of 1940. Human Comedy, A Stranger in Town, Courage of Lassie, The Three Musketeers, many, many more. If you've listened to my Secret History of Hollywood series, Bullets and Blood, you'll know he was also a member of James Cagney's Boys Club, alongside Cagney, Pat O'Brien, Frank McHugh, Spencer Tracy, and Alan Jenkins. He was perhaps the hardest drinking of the gang. In fact, he was renowned for his boozing. He always arrived on set with a small black briefcase that remained within arm's reach at all times. It was Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz, who told the story that between takes, Morgan would stride straight to his case and open it, and inside was a fully stocked minibar that by the end of the day would be drained dry. Anyway, personal issues aside, he was much beloved by all who knew him and by audiences who seemed magnetically drawn to this bumbling, rosy-cheeked gentleman whose smile always seemed so genuine. Certainly it was his charm that led to my own lifelong love affair with his film roles. Sadly, Morgan didn't live to see the end of the Golden Age. A heart attack put an end to his dazzling movie career in 1949 at the age of just 59 years old. He remains for me one of those more enchanted of Golden Age faces who's frozen forever now in that place we all love, that Hollywood of legend, in which he rules somewhere behind an emerald door. I thought I'd tell you about two of his lesser-seen yet equally as charming film appearances this week, as well as dedicating this week's bonus show to another of his films. First treat from Frank this week comes from 1935, a sparkling British fairy tale featuring Cicely Courtenage, Heather Angel, 
Una O'Connor and Henry Stevenson. So England via California, know what I mean? And I have to say up front, for those of you fearing a shrill Una O'Connor performance, you can rest easy. She plays very much against type here, very subdued. This is MGM's The Perfect Gentleman. When I think of that father of yours, it makes my blood boil, putting you in this position. Every word that Moss said was true. Your father is nothing but a scheming old reprobate. Aunt Harriet, he is my father and your brother. Oh, you are promising young vicar with a bright future ahead of you. Engaged to be married. And then something like this happens. Oh, I wish something would happen to bring that father of yours to his senses. The story here is of Major Horatio Chatteris, played by Frank Morgan, who's long been the black sheep of the Chatteris family. His sister Harriet, played by Una O'Connor, despairs of his wild ways. His son John is ashamed of his dad's rascally nature and is worried about the fact that it might upset his career as a clergyman. And he's equally as unpopular with the throngs of debt collectors and landlords to whom Major Horatio owes money. Well, how are you, landlord? For one minute, Major. How yes. about this friend of yours? Uh, rent. Oh, my rent, yes. Well, there are uh, certain prospects. I, uh, I'm expecting a call. You've had it. I've uh, had it. Yes, this bloke was here just now to collect 47 pounds from you. Well, I admire his faith in miracles. What did you tell him, Alf? I told him you'd vacated the premises for good. Oh, <laughs> good old Alf. Not only my landlord, but my my friend as well, eh? I only told him the truth. <laughs> you told him the truth? I can't pay my rent with excuses. Neither can you any longer. Hand over the key. Well, this is rather sudden, Alf. Uh, yes, oh, Alf, as a matter of fact, this is very fortunate. I haven't wanted to hurt you, but I, uh, I've i been intending to vacate these premises for some time. <laughs> my uh, sister and my son have been urging me to come down to Stoutley the Wall to visit them. <laughs> well, this makes up my mind for me. Goodbye, Alf, and cheerio. Uh, yeah. <coughs> the only fans that Major Horatio seems to have are Evelyn, played by Heather Angel, who's engaged to the Major's son, John, and who thinks the Major is an absolute delight next to the stuffed shirts her fiancé associates with. The other fan is April May, played by Cicely Courtney, a whackingly untalented wannabe stage star who takes a shine to the Major when he's sent into exile by his exhausted family. Uh, what is uh, that, a banana? <laughs> yes, unless it's been fooling me. Oh. <laughs> Can I offer you anything else? Uh, oh. You seem a little hungry. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I am. I, uh, I had tea with the Bishop of Tolchester, but it didn't amount to much. Really? <laughs> there uh, doesn't seem to be another cup. Oh, dear, isn't that a shame? Well, that's all right. We'll just uh, use the sugar bowl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Will we? Yes, the Major has been banished from the family home until he goes away and makes good. And he makes good by teaming up with April May on the stage and carving out a hugely successful career as an entertainer. But will this be enough to impress his conservative family? And what will happen when he and April begin to fall in love? This is such a delightful movie, from the gorgeous array of acting talent on screen to that enchanted California version of England that MGM and the other studios were so adept at creating. Nothing like the real England. I live there, I know, but definitely the version I'd love to live in. Everyone loves a rascal, don't they? And they really don't get more rascally than Frank Morgan. If you liked him in The Wizard of Oz, then he is playing almost exactly the same role here. That charming huckster with a twinkle in his eye and that perfectly timed double take. 
There are scenes in this movie that made me roar with laughter. There's an amazing scene in which a debt collector comes into possession of a document that'll destroy the major. So April must dance with him and seduce the document out of his pocket. It is a masterclass in physical comedy. Likewise, there's a scene at a charity fundraiser in which April and the major hold an auction to raise money and end up destroying the entire selection of auctionable goods. Just watch us. We'll show you how to get rid of these things. <laughs> well, it didn't take long to get rid of that. <laughs> easy come, easy go. The love story's sweet, the production design is gorgeous, the cast is sparkling, and Una O'Connor plays an uptight spinster with a disapproving eye. Plus, you have Frank Morgan as a con-man rascal who's turned into a good man through the love of a very good woman. How could you not want to see 1935's The Perfect Gentleman? It's a spellbinding little romantic comedy that I highly recommend you seek out. On to one of Morgan's more celebrated roles. In fact, it was so celebrated that it netted him an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. Sadly, he didn't win, but have received the only acting nod from among a cast that included Fay Ray, Frederick March, Constance Bennett and Lewis Calhoun. The act of being nominated itself was something of an accolade. Yes, we're off to the past for 1934's period comedy romp, The Affairs of Cellini. Case of Benvenuto Cellini. What, Cellini again? What's he done now? Another murder, Your Excellency? Who is it this time? A nobleman. In Venice. Venice? Why does he have to kill Venetians? Haven't we got enough people right here? This time he must be punished. There's only one punishment for him, Your Excellency. Don't prompt me. I know what I'm doing. Just because you happen to have a personal grievance against the man. Oh, this isn't a personal matter, Your Excellency. Oh, oh I know. Because he's been clever enough to outwit you at times. You, 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 you... Yes. Why doesn't he tend to his own business? After all, there's no artist like him. Why does he have to go around murdering people? We find ourselves in 16th century Florence during the De' Medici reign, where womanizing scoundrel artist Benvenuto Cellini, played by Frederick March, has been getting into nothing but mischief. Growing tired of warning Cellini about his wicked ways, the Duke, played by Frank Morgan, decides to pay the artist a visit and order his execution personally. But while he's there, he meets Cellini's new model, beautiful young Angela played by Fay Ray. Oh! Uh, who are you, my child? I'm Angela. Angela? Uh, oh, yes, of course. If you're going to hang him now, Mother and I would like to leave. Uh, who is she? It's uh, a lily, my lord, who has admired you from afar for many a day. In fact, uh, she was the cause of my quarrel with Matthew. Knowing you to be a connoisseur of beauty and art, I was... Uh, in the very act of taking her to the palace, and I was set upon by Matthew. Like he would have robbed you of her. Oh. Uh, does she uh, know who I am? No, no. I told her that you were but one of the court. Yeah. Then, uh, then it's not because I'm the Duke. Your Excellency underestimates his own charms. Inspiring to have Angela for himself, the Duke arranges for her to be shipped off to his palace for the weekend, as his wife, the Duchess, played by Constance Bennett, is away. But turns out she's back and is hoping to have the place to herself so that she can enjoy her own romantic rendezvous with Cellini himself. And there is your setup. Cellini's in love with Angela, 
The Duke is in love with Angela. The Duchess wants Cellini, and Angela doesn't really mind that much. Behind the scenes, the scheming Otto Viano, played by Louis Calhoun, wants Cellini executed, and so he's trying to catch someone in the act of cheating on their spouse. I wasn't sure about this when it first started. It seemed like one of those awful attempts by an ill-suited American cast to play stereotypical Europeans in some kind of highbrow farce. But as it played out, I soon came to realize that this is exactly what makes this film so fun. I mean, the sense of humor that this thing is built on is terrifically modern and absolutely hilarious, and I mean hilarious. Oh, and look, supper for me. Why didn't you let me know? Oh, uh, yes, well, I... I was expecting you sooner. And listen, music also. Thoughtful, Alessandro. <laughs> I thought music would be nice. You were so hungry that you ate both our suppers, didn't you? Yes. I, I, I mean, uh, no, Pauvre uh, 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 Ottaviano joined me at supper. Hmm, strange. As I entered the palace, I saw Ottaviano on his way to the dining hall to dine with the others. Oh, you did? Oh, that fellow must have a tapeworm. I love that it keeps on spinning faster and faster, and by the end, which builds to a really intriguing climax involving a party and a poisoned chalice, I was glued, and I was biting my nails in anticipation. The women are the real stars here. Jessie Ralph as Angela's mother is brilliant. She plays the archetypal old hag, and for once, she's given some of the choicest lines. Faye Ray, too, is just... Fabulous. Her facial expressions while she's being romanced by Frank Morgan are stupendously funny. Constance Bennett, too, playing an insatiable man-eater who has no qualms about tossing her conquests to the lions when she finds a new one. Brave stuff for a film of this period, which was just inside the pre-code era, and it shows. Frederick March is great, too. If you've seen him playing comedic in films like Design for Living, then this capitalizes on that. Frank Morgan, though, truly deserves his Best Actor nomination. I'm so glad he was recognized. Third billing, and yet the Academy wisely saw that he was the jewel at the center of this thing. He is ridiculously good. I mean, he plays Frank Morgan, as usual, all double takes and stammering. But in this setting, this character of his transcends more than usual. It's a brilliant turn in a surprisingly funny, ultra-witty, and quite bawdy romp in the company of a group of actors who really know what they're doing. If you like things fast and funny, then do check out 1934's The Affairs of Cellini. Glorious. Well, for your radio entertainment this week, how about we hear an episode of a radio sitcom that Frank Morgan headlined for a time? A charming little small-town comedy called The Fabulous Dr. Tweedy. Frank, take it away. Dr. Tweedy, written by Robert Riley Crutcher with Harry Von Zell and starring Frank Morgan. <laughs> that is Q. Tweedy, Doctor of Philosophy and Dean of Men at Potts College, is a devotee of the bassoon. It is a musical instrument which is extremely difficult to play. Dr. Tweedy's old English sheepdog, Baldy, wishes it were impossible. Baldy, stop beating your head against the wall. My bassoon playing isn't that bad. And stop sneering. 
You look almost human. Now, you sit here beside my chair, and I'll play you some beautiful music. <coughs> now, listen. presents Caruso Baldy. With all that hair, you'll be perfect for the barber of Seville. <laughs> Why, Miss Kitty Bell and Colonel Jackson, won't you come in? Thank you, Dr. Tweedy. Now, Brother Beauregard and I are so excited about your marvelous idea for forming a little old musical group. Yes. We were talking about it while Beauregard was having his mint julep. Yes. He's had only one. He's turning over a new leaf. Yeah, I know. A mint leaf. <laughs> Dr. Tweedy, Sam, I purchased a new set of mint julep glasses. Yeah? They're two feet tall. <laughs> my, my, my. One of those, you don't have to hunt for a lamppost. You just lean against the glass. <laughs> a delightful drink, sir. While making it, you drop in a mint leaf every six inches. Oh. And when the two-foot glass is full of that delectable fluid, you dust just a suggestion of powdered sugar over the top. Oh, dear. And then when you drink it down, you know you're really living. Yeah. And everyone else thinks you're dead. <laughs> well, that's the nicest way I can think of to go. And if I go, I can take it with me. <laughs> It's going to be so much fun having these little musical evenings. I just love classical music. My yes, favorite I... composers are Rachmaninoff, Prokofiev, Tchaikovsky, Rimsky, Kostakov, Shostakovich, Stravinsky, Mussorgsky, and Hoagie Carmichael. <laughs> uh, uh, what are you going to call your little old musical group? Uh, the Tweety Chamber Music Society. Now, let's bring in Miss Kitty Bell's harp from the porch. Mrs. Apopolis will be here any minute with our flute. Hmm. My, my, it's dark out here. Yes, my porch light is burned out. Yes, look out, Colonel. The harp! Your nose! You're, you're, you're... Well, the harp's out of tune, but my nose is a perfect seashell. <laughs> now, Dr. Tweedy, if you'll sound your A, Beauregard will tune up his silver cornet. <laughs> Mint julep. I shouldn't have drunk the last four inches. Yeah. Well, uh, Colonel, the wind from your cornet is tarnishing my bassoon. Would you mind blowing the other way? Now, let's tune up. One, two, three. Oh, everything, kiddo, here's a populace with her hot flute. Let's jam up the joint. <laughs> Jam a joint. Uh, well, certainly, twiddle my twiddle. I love to twiddle my twiddle. <laughs> yes. Well, notice how much my bassoon playing has improved in the last few weeks. <laughs> 
those guys. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Well, I haven't started playing yet. My finger got caught in the valve. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mrs. Poplar, sound your eight. I'm all puckered up and ready to let fly. Stand yeah. back, Swiddle, or you'll get a shower bath. Oh, dear, Mrs. Apopolis, I'm afraid you're flat. Now, wait a minute, sport, not so fast. <laughs> Apopolis has got perfect pitch. Yes, of course you have. <laughs> and uh, you have a delightful tremolo. Well, <laughs> little touchy, keep talking, I love it. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Poplis, did you notice that you have several full notes here? Notes for you, too. <laughs> Let's play. Rehearsals, the Tweedy Chamber Music Society has come to an end. Thank heaven. Uh, oh, Welby, I didn't see you standing there. Where's Baldy? Out in the backyard. He dug a hole and buried his head in it. How is he breathing? Doc, if I knew that, I'd have buried my head, too. Oh, dear. Poor Baldy. I'll have to get him some earmuffs like you're wearing. Oh, Doc, I, I come in to tell you Mr. Potts is at the back door. Oh, well, thank you, Welby. I'll go see what he wants. Good evening, Mr. Potts. Tweedy, yes? I came to see you because I have a big problem on my hands. How is Mrs. Potts? <laughs> Who cares? Well, I don't know. I just... No. <laughs> this is a new problem. Yes. Tweedy, it's my duty as chairman of the board of trustees to see to it that we have a good basketball team. Yes. Three weeks ago, we suffered a very humiliating defeat at the hands of Bullfinch. Oh, but our boys put up a great fight. Once they even got the ball. I thought it was a moral victory. We held them down to 85 points. To our nothing. <clears throat> this morning, the Army discharged one of the finest basketball players in the country. This afternoon, he enrolled here. Tomorrow night, Bullfinch will get a big surprise. They will? Yes. Uh, Dribble! Oh, Dribble! Come over here! I, uh... Oh, no! That's the biggest surprise I've ever seen! <laughs> What is it? Uh, I mean, who is it? Tweety, this yeah. is Dribble Jones. Dribble he Jones. stands seven feet two inches in his stocking feet. And when he plays, he wears built-up tennis shoes. <laughs> Dribble, this is Dr. Tweety. Where? Here I am, down here. Oh, down there. Hi, Dr. Seedy. I've... It's Tweety. Thaddeus Q, Ph.D., Dean of Men. Tweety, yes. I want Dribble to stay here with you until the game tomorrow night. Yes. Take good care of him and see to it that nothing happens to Dribble. No. We can't win without him. Don't you worry, Mr. Potts. I'll take care of everything. He can double up with Sidney in his role. Uh, he'll have to double up. Uh, nothing is going to happen to Dribble. Well, if anything does happen to him, you'll have me to face. Oh, what a 
horrible thought. Yeah, well, keep it in mind, Tweety. Yeah. Good night. Good, Good night, night, Ribble. Good night. Hey. Don't worry about the game, Mr. Potts. It's hey. in the bag. Yeah. There'll be good news tomorrow night. Yeah. Well. Good night. <laughs> Where's your luggage, Dribble? Well, I've got this basketball. I'm a dribbling fool. Say, that looks like fun. Let me try bouncing it. Sure. Here's the ball, Dr. Petey. Yeah. Well, the name is Tweety. Is this the way you do it? Ow! Hey, that's pretty tricky dribbling. Uh, I never saw anybody bounce it with his face before. Well, I didn't mean to. Now we'll pretend the front of the garage there is the basket. Now just watch me sink this shot, dribble. The garage moved. Where'd the ball go? It's over there. Yeah. The second story window box next door. Oh. I could ring the doorbell and tell Mrs. Popolis there's the basketball in a flower box. Oh no, I guess it's late. Uh boost me up, Dribble. <laughs> Ouch, Dr. Giddy, you're standing on my ears. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll step down to your shoulders. Uh, here's the basketball nestled in the dead petunias. The riddle, my sweet little second story man. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, we've not... Uh, good evening, Mrs. Apopolis. Uh, I thought you were in bed. How romantic. <laughs> Well, it's a bit embarrassing. You see, I was looking for a basketball, believe it or not. I <laughs> oh, don't make excuses, Twiddle Tootsie Wootsie. I love it. Just like Romeo and Juliet. You're killing yourself on my balcony. What are you standing on? A tall friend of short acquaintance. <laughs> I'm coming, Mrs. Apopolis. I heard some noises and called Colonel Jackson. I didn't know it was you out there. Oh, how sad. You're looking at an unhappy Greek. You're looking. Oh, he's coming with dueling pistols to save me. So long, Dr. Weedy. No, Dribble, don't run away. Don't leave me hanging here. Oh, I'm hanging here. Don't worry, Mr. Publish. I'll kill all four of those men hanging from your window
Dr. Frank Morgan as the fabulous Dr. Tweedy. Last night, things were pretty much up in the air, including Dr. Tweedy. Today, Dr. Tweedy's manservant, Welby Skinkle, is telling his very dear friend, the houseboy at the Phi Beta Quota Fraternity House, all about it. Boy, Timothy, I want to tell you about last night. As soon as I finished the ironing, I rushed right over here to the maternity house. <laughs> Sit down, Welby, and tell me all the juicy details. Yeah, okay, but I can only stay a minute. There was more... Hey, what are you doing with them long needles? Oh, I'm knitting myself a sweater. <laughs> so I'll be warm and cozy when we go out to play in the snow. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got the perfect shape for a sweater, too. <laughs> well, let me tell you about last night. I hear someone yelling. I rushes out, and there was the doc hanging from Mrs. Apopolis's window box on the second floor. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Go on. Well, <laughs> Colonel, Colonel Jackson is shooting off his dueling pistols, and the doc was scared stiff. Oh, mercy. I'd be scared, too. Yeah, well, he wasn't scared of the colonel that Mrs. Apopolis was trying to drag him in the window. Uh, <laughs> oh, nuts. I got so excited, I dropped a stitch. <laughs> I didn't hear nothing. Well, I dropped it. <laughs> But that's enough of this gossip. We've got work to do. Work? Mr. Potts wants you and me to guard the athletic trophies in the administration building. He's afraid the bullfinches will swipe them before the big game tonight. Oh, yeah, I'm a remember, like they done three weeks ago. Ah. Well, let's get going. I got my wheelbarrow parked in front of a fire plug. I don't want to get no ticket. <laughs> well, B, we can stop for some refreshments on the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold out. I could use a slug of antifreeze. You know something? What? I found an old Pierce arrow. No! Yeah! <laughs> Nobody has drained the antifreeze out of that radiator since 1926. Oh, boy! <laughs> Vintage stuff! Yeah. Hey, where's the pliers and Dixie cup? And here you are, Welby. Yeah. And just in case those... Bullfinches try to steal any trophies tonight. Here's our baseball bat. Oh, boy, give me that bat. Let me show you what I do to one of them guys. Here, turn your head a little bit. Hmm? Don't move. That, that's right. That's it. <laughs> well, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and hit me on the head. <laughs> I just... Oh, nuts. Timothy, I just bopped you. Oh. Now it's my turn to pretend I'm defending the trophies. Yeah. And the first one that yells out is a sissy. Stick out your hand. <laughs> well, look at me bounce. <laughs> it must be them rubber heels I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, well, now it's my turn, Timothy. Here. Hold your head still. Now. Do you hear that little bird singing, Welby? I'm a nature lover. I'm crazy about birds. Boys, I'm getting a little headache. Must have been something I ate. 
But I don't hear no bite. Turn your head a little bit more and you will. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Timothy, now that's beautiful. <laughs> See the boys? No, I see nothing but stars. Let's practice defending the trophy some more. Yeah, okay, I love them boys. waiting for me to come home. What have you been doing? Oh, yeah. Well, it's late, and Sydney isn't home yet. I'd better turn on the lights in the living room. Dr. Sweetie! Look, Mary and Sydney. I'm sorry. Sydney, your nose is bleeding. Oh, no, it's lipstick. Uh, what are you two doing sitting in the dark? Oh, well, you see, Dr. Sweetie, I got this wristwatch for Christmas. Yes. It has a radium dial you can see in the dark, and... Sydney and I wanted to see what time it was. Oh, well, what time is it? Gee whiz, Dr. Tweedy. Uh, we were talking. Well, I didn't hear anything. I must have come in during a lull in the conversation. <laughs> well, what we were talking about was, a couple of weeks ago, the kids from Bolton Shoe saw our athletic trophy, and we're afraid they'll try it again tonight. I remember how mad that made Miss Potts the last time. Why don't you two go get them and bring them here for safekeeping? Hey, Dr. Tweedy, aren't Mary's lips beautiful? Uh, yeah. Uh, would you mind turning off the lights on your way out, Dr. Tweedy? Oh, yes. Would you mind turning off the lights on your way out, Dr. Tweedy? We only have an hour before the basketball game starts. Yes, I understand. You have so much to talk over. I'll get Dribble to bring the trophies over here. Dribble, is that you out there in the garage? Yes, Dr. Tweedy. Hmm. Well, what I'm playing with a little gopher, you know, the, the school mascot. Oh, that's little Philbert, the gopher. How are you tonight? <laughs> yeah, you like being out of your cage, don't you, Philbert? Oh, boy! Is he a cute little rascal? Come here, Philbert. <laughs> Ow! Uh-huh. He bites you. I know it. He always bites you. Oh, look, now he's sorry. He's licking the wound. <laughs> Ow! He bit me again. Let me hold him. Yeah, but keep him away from your basketball. He might chew it. He might bite the... Oh. He bit it. Oh, dear. Where's Philbert? Oh, there you are. Blew you right back in your cage. That'll teach you to keep your big buck teeth out of basketball. That's going to the game. Athletic trophies. Dribble! I want you to go over to the administration building, get the athletic trophies, and bring them here. I want to be sure nobody steals them. But what if somebody thinks I'm stealing them? I'm new around here. Yeah, well, there won't be anyone guarding those athletic trophies. That's why I want to lock them up in my garage. Just be very careful and don't get into any trouble. We need you to win that basketball game. Those trophies are as good as in the garage right now, Dr. Needy. Good. And I'm not needy, I'm seedy. I mean, I'm seedy. I'll meet you at the game. Oh, 
mascot, Filbert the Gopher, in his new uniform. Yellow jersey and purple trunks with a hole for the tail. And little tiny tennis shoes. Take him away. <laughs> Have you seen Dr. Tweedy? Uh, sure, Mr. Potts. There he is, coming in on the other side of the gym. Oh. Dr. Tweedy! Dr. Tweedy! Yes, did you hear that, Miss Potts? They cheered me when I came in. Are you sure it wasn't the bullfinch cheering section, Tweedy? What a thrill, Mr. Potts. Tonight, we win our first basketball game at last. Potts triumphant. Ah, yes. This is a great day for Potts and a personal triumph for me. That's right. I was shrewd enough to enroll Dribble Jones. And tonight, those bullfinch kids won't steal our athletic trophies again. No, I've seen to that. No, I've seen to that. Yes. I ordered Welby and Timothy to stand guard over them. And you know what they'd do to anyone who tried to take them. Yes. <laughs> They've each got a baseball bat. They have? Oh. They've each got a baseball bat, and I send Dribble Jones over there. Oh, no! Queenie! You didn't... Yes, you'd be surprised I did. My brand new tall center. Yes, sir. After they get through with him with those baseball bats, he'll be a foot shorter. Excuse me, Dr. Tweedy. Will you hold Felbert? I have to help Mary lead the next year. Yes. Oh, dear. What'll I do with him? Uh, here, here. Philbert, get into this big wooden box. Tweedy, this is too much. I can't stand anymore. Well, sit down, Mr. Potts. We want trouble. We want trouble. We want trouble. Potts, Potts, Potts. Pot. and I'm sorry I'm a little late because I stopped to watch a couple of guys standing beside the trophies beating each other over the heads with baseball bats and talking about birds. Oh, dear. Welby and Timothy play so rough. They didn't yeah. even seem to be taking the trophies. Never mind, Tweedy. Give dribble a ball and let's start the game. Certainly, Miss Potts. Nothing can happen now to stop this game. Where are the basketballs? They're all in that box right there. In there? In yeah. that box? Well, we'll take one out. and In that big wooden box? Yes. But I put Philbert the gopher in there. He bites basketballs. Oh, no. Oh, no. I've got it again. Mrs. Apopolis, you brought it. Yes, your basketball. You left it in my flower box last night. Oh, Mrs. Apopolis, I could kiss you. Well, let's have it, Twiddle, my Twiddle. Bucker up. Oh, no. <laughs>
Morgan appears by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical Till the Clouds Roll By. Here again is Frank Morgan with his thought for the week. My topic for today is horses. Fast horses, that is. But no horse can go as fast as the money you bet on them. Which brings me to my thought for the week. Bulls and bears aren't responsible for nearly as many stock losses as bum steers. Oh, dear. Good night. And that was the fabulous Mr. Morgan in the fabulous Dr. Tweedy. Lovely stuff. How does Frank Morgan fare as a romantic lead? Well, in this week's bonus edition of Attaboy Clarence, I'll be telling you as I review one of his most startling roles, that of a disillusioned husband and father who falls in love with someone else. You can hear all about that on this week's bonus edition of Attaboy Clarence, which you can access by signing up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for a Christmas card if you'd like one, and vote for the Christmas film we'll be watching together at Film Club. And just to remind those of you on the correct reward tier, the newest movie commentary is about to be released this week. I have just made a complete movie commentary for my favorite movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and it's coming out for patrons this week. Uh, excuse me, do I have to write in the Christmas cards? Yes, Suki, you do. You may not have noticed this, but I don't have thumbs. I'll just stamp your paw in ink or something. I'm not doing that. Yes, you are. I am not. Yes, you are. No, I am not. Sound I found the clap, rap. Stop! Stop! Yes, anything, I'll stamp the card with my paw. Works like a charm. Anyway, until next week, folks, take awfully good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.